Yes, good evening. Good to see each and every one of you. Uh, some of you might not know who I am. I have uh, the privilege of being one of the lay pastors here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, that's in combination with, um, I happen to be a missionary. Uh, I serve with uh, the mission group in faith, uh, and I've been doing that for like 30 years. We're on the threshold. One of the things I do is uh, I'm a circuit riding preacher. I've told that to some of you before. So I'm like the old time, 200 years ago, the guy that got on his horse and went from church to church, serving mostly small rural churches, and I'm the modern version of that. So uh, I don't ride a horse. Me and horses have never uh, gotten along real well. I don't know if that was by design from my sister training them to hate me. <clears throat> so I won't mention my sister's name right now, but she's sitting right here in front. Um, but uh, anyway, so in part of my job description too is uh, camp ministry. So we are on the threshold, as you can imagine, this being uh, the first week in June that uh, we got about three weeks in its full bore summer camp at Kokolala Lake Bible Camp. And so if you want a great place to take your kids to Bible camp, or maybe another way of looking at it is to take your neighbor's kids to Bible camp, um, Kokolala Lake Bible Camp's a great place to do that. And I think this is my 30th summer there. So I've been there a long time, and I've seen God work in powerful ways. Uh, for all these many years. I see now that uh, uh, there's kids that uh, when I first started there that are now pastors, board members of churches, missionaries. They're scattered over the globe uh, serving Jesus and loving Jesus. So it's a great ministry. If you want to know more about it, contact me afterwards. I have camp brochures with me, or you could Google it, kokalalalakebiblecamp.org. So, uh, and I'm happily married to, uh, to my wife, Cindy. Cindy, I won't ask you to stand up, okay? But uh, anyway, so that's a little bit about me. I don't want to take any more time tonight to uh, let you know who I am. But uh, other than the fact, I'll, st I'll state this. One of the reasons why they asked me to be a lay pastor, first, one of the first reasons was to be the guy that does um, more of the funeral, funerals here to take some of the load off of Pastor Ken. So I just want to let you know I have some openings this next week. <laughs> um, so anyway, I'm glad you laughed. I was actually, I thought, should I say that or should I not say that? But that's legit. They did say, we'd like you to be the funeral pastor. I thought, okay, there's all sorts of jokes we could use with that. But I do consider it a great honor to come alongside of families that uh, uh, are in the grieving process and saying goodbye to loved ones and... Uh, uh, having that privilege of being the officiant that uh, does that. So I have the honor tonight to speak God's word to you. And what I'll be doing is speaking from Luke's gospel, chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And as you turn there, um, I'll give you a little bit of an idea of what's going on here with this passage. And then we'll pray here in a bit. Um, after we read this, but I'll give you a chance to find it first. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And the title, I always like to title my sermons. Uh, I figure it helps me grasp onto the truth, and if it helps me grasp onto the truth, it'll help other people grasp onto the truth also. 
And this famous, maybe one of the more famous parables in the scriptures is entitled, um, in my Bible it's titled this, the parable of the lost son, or the parable, you might say the parable of the prodigal son. But I entitled this sermon tonight this, the heart of the father, the heart of the father. So that's what I'd like to uh, highlight tonight is uh, uh, some of the truths here that I see from the scriptures about who God is, who God is. So much of the battle of our Christian faith. You know, God asks a lot of things of us. God asks us to trust him 110%, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The term all. I mean, that's every aspect of your life. That's from the very breath of the life, uh, your very breath of life. It's also about your children. You to give God your children. Say, Lord, here's my children. You do with my children what you please. Uh, Heavenly Father, my career. Heavenly Father, a spouse for me, uh, etc. All these kind of things. So the Lord asks a lot of us. Can we trust him? Is he worthy of that trust? What kind of a heart does our Heavenly Father have? you'll turn with me, if you're not already there, please, Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And if you'll please stand as I read this beautiful passage here. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 11 and onward, state this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent, out, sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends." But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. Please remain standing as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for this beautiful passage of Scripture that shows you in an absolutely phenomenal and a beautiful light, Lord. Heavenly Father, I ask you for this. Lord, would you please enable, empower me to communicate, represent you well, Lord. So, Lord, please help my thought patterns and my, uh, my voice just simply communicate the truths you want communicated tonight, Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, help all of us to hear, Lord. Enable us to hear. Empower us to hear, Lord. And because of this, help us to grow to love you more and to understand who you are, Lord. So, Heavenly Father, we pray for this and we give this to you in your Son's holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Yes, the heart of our Father. John 3.16, most all of us know that verse really well. John 3.16, let me quote it for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Great passage of scripture. Let me read to you from the Amplified Version of the Bible now. And before I do that, let me just talk about the Amplified Version for a little bit. Uh, in the past few years, past seven, eight years, um, I have been doing a lot more reading and studying out of the Amplified Version of the Bible. And one of the reasons for that is, uh, I don't know if any of you can uh, sympathize, but you ever had trials in your life? I'm, I'm preaching to the wrong crowd. You guys don't understand that, do you? Ever have trials to your life? And of course, I'm just uh, jousting a little bit here. Yes, thank you. And ever have trials to such the point that uh, basically you're getting to the point where you're just kind of numb about life. And, uh, you know, one of the things that God asks us on an ongoing process to do is be involved with exposure from his word. And so, you know, we've been taught and taught rightly that we need to be involved in God's word on a daily basis. And anybody have this happen to you? When you open up your Bible and you look at it, and it just simply looks like ink on a page. Been there, done that. Let me encourage you, my pastor started encouraging you on that, pick yourself up a copy of the Amplified Version of the Bible. It takes it and basically starts you in the meditation process to understand the meanings of the words. So John 3.16, NIV version again states this, For God so loved the world that he gave us one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The amplified version of that wonderful verse says this, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique Son, that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish, come to destruction, be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. We see in this maybe the most famous verse in the Bible. You know, we see it at football games. You know, on TV, you've seen it how many times when back behind the goalpost, somebody hold up John 3.16. We also see Tim Tebow, bless his heart for doing this, the famous quarterback who puts the reference on his cheekbones during the game. Uh, we see in this verse two, at least two character qualities of our Heavenly Father. One, he is a God of love. And two, he is a God of giving. Two qualities that are easy to forget if you're like me and have a tendency to think that for God to be pleased with me, that for God to accept me, that I have to perform some possibly vague, possibly unknown, 
possibly incredibly high, actually impossible standard of righteousness, righteousness to meet his approval. Let me state that again. I am so prone to this in my life. To, to think that I have to perform to some vague, unknown, incredibly high, actually impossible standard of righteous living to have God's approval. And I have lived decades in that sense of bondage, and that is not our Heavenly Father. That is not our Heavenly Father. God is a God of love. He is a God of giving. Now let me ask this question. What, what does love mean? One of the privileges I have in ministry is I get to do weddings. In fact, here a month ago, I had, uh, you know, it's always great, being, of course, being involved in camp ministry. Our camp kids grow up pretty soon. A couple of camp kids fall in love with each other. They give me a call. Pastor Rob, can you do our wedding? Four weeks ago, I had the privilege to do that. So uh, two young kids, a 19 and a 20-year-old, uh, adorable. If you go on my Facebook site, you'll see pictures of them on there. And of course, with a, a wedding comes the uh, famous, or some might not consider it so, yeah, some, everybody likes it eventually if they commit to it, where you have your premarital classes. And uh, when I start my premarital classes with a couple of them to marry, I have them ask or answer this question, what does love mean? Can you define love to me? And I'll put a little bit of a, uh, you know, st not stress on him. I say, can you give me another one-word definition for love? Can you give me a one-sentence definition for love? Preferably not a paragraph, but let's define what love is. And it's uh, great, actually, to do that. What is love? See, growing up, I thought the opposite of love was hate, but that's not the truth. Here's some great quotes. A person by the name of Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, states is that real love, and I like this, real love means an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Isn't that great to have, uh, as you tell a young couple right before they get married, you know, a couple months before they get married? Let me quote that again. Real love means an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Okay, and try not to uh, forget what we're talking about here. We're talking about the relationship between us and our Heavenly Father in this uh, prodigal son story here. So again, let me quote that. Real love means an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. When my wife married me, I was and is an imperfect person. If you want to ask her afterwards, feel free. Okay, just enjoy yourself as she explains how imperfect. She, she's very gracious. Okay, this, this, another definition, another great way to flesh love out. Love always seeks to meet the needs of the object loved regardless of, regardless of the personal cost or sacrifice by seeking to obtain the highest good for them. God has this kind of love for each one of us. God is a God of giving. It's part of God's nature that he loves to give gifts and he is so prone to do so, which is especially good because I like to get gifts. God gives great gifts. The heart of our Heavenly Father. The heart of our Heavenly Father. Now how about, you know, when I, often when I do illustrations, I like to give illustrations from my own life. Uh, there's so many things that I have done wrong in my Christian faith. There seems to be a wealth of experiences uh, to share from. But uh, let me share the, my heart as a dad. I have three children, and uh, this concerns my daughter. Uh, five years ago, 
Five years ago, my daughter decided to go off to Bible college. I'm very proud of my daughter. My daughter is a beautiful gal. She takes after my wife, praise the Lord. My daughter loves Jesus and is willing to do what Jesus has asked, asked her to do, if, even if that means to um, go a long ways to college. Five years ago, in August, Cindy, Katie, my daughter Katie and myself hopped into my daughter's car and we drove her 1,900 miles back to Waukesha, Wisconsin. Now that's something that you can't say three times fast, can you? It's kind of like Walla Walla, Washington and Waukesha, Wisconsin. Little Waukesha, about 30 minutes from uh, Milwaukee. And I had just had one of my surgeries previously four months to that and was having a pretty tough time recuperating. So it was not in my mind a lot. I mean, I was thinking about it a lot, but it wasn't like it was really congealing in my mind that my little girl, I've only got one daughter, two boys and one daughter. I've only got one little girl. And so I, it wasn't really congealing in my mind the fact that I was getting ready to drive my daughter 1,900 miles away from my home. And people came up to me many times. People said gracefully and says, we're praying for you and for your wife, Cindy, uh, for God's help as your daughter heads back to college. And I thanked all the people that prayed for us, and it was good for them to pray for us. And I would often reply by saying this. I said, I'm doing great, but please remember my wife, Cindy. And I was sincere with this. I was cool with this. And no doubt, again, recuperating from my surgeries and not thinking all that clearly. By the way, if you want to know how a pastor gets stressed out, you know, it took about six months for all those chemicals to finally get out of my body. And of course, you know, I'm preaching. But the first time I preached, it was just like, oh, Lord, you've got to help me with this. Am I going to have to apologize after I'm done preaching here, saying something, who knows what? So anyway, that hot day in August, late August, we hopped in the car. That first day, we drove 840 miles. Uh, we'd had camp, camp, uh, family camp that lasted till, till Sunday. And uh, Monday was wash clothes day. Tuesday morning, I think it was 6 a.m., we head out towards Wisconsin. So we drove 840 miles that first day. We saw Custer's last stand. Uh, the next day, we saw Mount Rushmore and Little House on the Prairie. Uh, day three, we were in Minnesota, and we visited the Spam Museum. <laughs> now, we're not talking the computer spam. You know, we're talking about when you go to the grocery store and buy the spam. Did you know that there was a Spam Museum? <laughs> has anybody here gone to the Spam Museum? Nobody has gone? Oh, you guys got to get out way more often. Uh, okay. Oh, there is somebody that's been here. Yes. Well, anyway, I don't even remember what town it is. Of course, you look up in the back of the can, it'll show you. There's a legit museum there. And the spam company has spent a lot of money and done a great job representing their product, talking about history, World War II, uh, et cetera. And uh, by the way, when you drive into town, uh, you might not even know it's a spam town, but pretty soon once you drive into it, you smell legit, you smell spam, okay? Uh, thankfully, I love spam. So I even got a t-shirt. I, I was half tempted to wear it tonight, but uh, I didn't want to be too distracting. So spam museum. Okay, by 1 p.m. on day four, we were at the Bible college. Me and my wife and my daughter were walking down the halls of this beautiful old building in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Lots of new students milling around, and of course, there was the upperclassmen milling around too. 
In particular, I happened to notice three college boys that were obviously upperclassmen standing against, uh, the, together excuse me, against the wall. Their eyes were focused almost on me. Do you know what I'm saying? They were almost focused on me. I looked at them and I thought, are they looking at me? And I kind of looked at where their eyes were focused and here's me, here's my wife, and here's my pretty little daughter. And guess where their eyes were looking? At my pretty little daughter. The thought came to my mind, I forgot to bring one more thing from Washington. You know, the the loving father's tool of protecting his beautiful daughter, uh, that 12-gauge shotgun. So interesting. They don't call it New Tribe's Bridal Institute for nothing. On the trip over, Katie cried a number of times. My wife cried a number of times. I was doing great. It was like I was a machine. Get in the car. Let's go. You need to go potty? We went potty in Idaho. You know, it's, now it's Minnesota. Let's keep it going. So uh, the next day, we picked up Katie at the college. You know, we spent three days back there getting her organized. I took my wife and my daughter out to lunch. I sat by the window. My wife sat next to me. Katie sat over here, kind of across, but in front of me. And I looked at my daughter, and all of a sudden, I saw her differently. It hit me. Now I didn't just see her as a grown woman who loves Jesus, but now I saw her as my my little girl. I used to call her my little babushka. I don't know what that word means, but I hope it's all right to say that. But I always called her my little babushka. And when I looked over there, I saw her as my little babushka. And all of a sudden, I had this pain in my heart that was exasperating. And tears, I mean, okay, I can confess. Tears started coming down my face. Of course, I'm a man, right? Nobody's supposed to look at me cry, so I immediately look out the window. Of course, there's people walking by. That's always awkward, you know. (laughs) You know, what sandwich is that guy eating that's making him cry? So anyway, the most awful pain struck my heart, and tears flowed down my cheeks, and it wasn't the sandwich. What my heart wanted to do was to grab my daughter and my wife and throw them both in the car and make for 1,900 miles and drive them home. The co- I didn't even care about the money. The college could keep the money. It was not important to me at all anymore. Many times those next three days, I had tears, and I begged the Lord for strength. I asked the Lord if this was his will for my daughter, and the Lord confirmed in my heart that she is to stay in uh, Wisconsin. So Cindy and I, after that third day, hopped in a car and somebody took us to the airport and we left my daughter. I want her to be home and in my presence. Now, two days of Friday, guess where my wife and I get to go? Wisconsin, where I'm gonna see my little girl. So we're excited for that, of course. God wants you, I want them to be, my daughter to be in my presence. God wants you to be in his presence also. God wants you to walk, wants to walk close with you. God wants you to hear his voice as, as you read his word. God wants to hear your voice as you pray to him. God wants you to have a close relationship with him and so that there's nothing between you and him, following him, serving him, enjoying him, the heart of our heavenly father. 
back to the story, the prodigal son story. Now, interesting little bit of Bible trivia here. As you look at this passage, my Bible title says the parable of the lost son. Some of your scriptures might say the parable of the prodigal son. You guys realize this, that these subtitles, these small subtitles are not um, inspired scripture. If you go back to the original manuscripts, you will not see these little subtitles saying the parable of the lost son. I would like to suggest this, that there's other titles that we could call this passage. Now, it is most well known as the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. But we could say this about this passage. We could call it the parable of the lost sons, plural. For when you read this and study this, you'll realize that both these boys are, in fact, prodigal boys. Even more accurately, what I'd like to entitle this is the parable of the father's heart, because we see how the father responds to two erring boys in a compassionate and a gracious and a wonderful way. You and I can trust our Heavenly Father 110%. And I know there's times when life stinks. Okay, if we had the time, I could go in to tell you a, a number of testimonies about my life. Life stinks but you can still trust God through the entirety of it. God's going to walk you through it. He's there walking you through it. So what's going on here? The father in this parable represents our heavenly father, and either one or both of the sons represent us not walking with the Lord, whether it's non-Christians or Christians who are walking in a prodigal lifestyle. In the first two verses, we see both sons despise the goodness of the father. Let me read to you the first two verses here again. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give, my share, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. The evil, they were listening basically to the evil prompting of their hearts. And what they were telling their father is this. I do not care for how you run your household. I'm tired of living under your authority, so I want to run life my way. Sound familiar? Can you identify with that? I know I can. Interesting, the tone of the younger brother. He says this, give me. Self always says, give me, give me, give me. Also from the older brother, fascinating, much is said by his silence. You might have asked the question, well, I don't see how the older brother is prodigal too. Much is said by a silence. Culturally speaking, in the Mideast culture, it is the responsibility of the older brother to be proactive by standing up and saying to the other brother, hey, wait a minute, buddy, you're way out of line here, and it's time to stop. But here the older brother still accepts his part of the inheritance. Culturally speaking, the father, what the father does in the Mideast is divide up the inheritance with his sons. This is done close to the father's time of death. In fact, the younger son requests his share. The younger son, when he does this, is saying, I wish, Dad, that you were dead. The son's request is seen as a profound break of a relationship between the father and the son. The boy is lost. Prodigal, by the way, means wasteful, reckless. Now, interesting, part of how God reveals himself to be um, a phenomenal heavenly father, and you know we have other verses that back this up too. Psalms 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. You know, for, I've, for years, you know, we've quoted Psalms 23. I didn't know what in the world that meant. We shall not be in want. 
What in the world does that mean? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. What David is saying is this. He says, the Lord is so cool that I don't need to go anywhere else for any more fulfillment. I'm not in want of anything else. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. How can you trust in the Lord with all your heart if you do not believe he is good, trustworthy? Now, interesting with this, the Father's response is fascinating. The Father, again, this is a representation of our Heavenly Father. He graciously grants the hurtful request. In the Mideast mindset, the father is expected at this time to explode and to discipline the boy for the cruel implications excuse me, of his demand. Kenneth Bailey's book, Poet and, a, Poet and a Peasant Through a Peasant's Eyes. Too many P's for my tongue here. Kenneth goes on to state this. It is difficult to imagine a more dramatic illustration of the quality of love which grants freedom even to Reject the lover. You know, when you think about it, God is the creator of the universe. God is the Lord. God has the right to say, thou shalt. And God has the right to demand and to force that. Because he is God. But yet in his love and his care, he says, I'm not going to force that. I'm going to give each one of us, each one of us, the privilege to choose. Do you love me? Do you believe that I am as trustworthy as I say that I am? These are things that we have struggled with, that I have struggled with. Those who Jesus was speaking would have been flabbergasted by this. They would have been spellbound by this. God is good. God is trustworthy. God does have a wonderful plan for your life. God has a, such a wonderful plan for your life that even though there's bad stuff that happens to each one of us, even really raunchy bad stuff that happens to each one of us, if we give him permission, he'll take that rotten stuff and he'll turn and in time he'll make that beautiful. I don't think this. I know this by personal experience. I know it enough by personal experience that when other awful things happen in my life, I can go, okay, Lord, here it is again. Lord, would you please take this, do your wonderful work that you do, and turn this into something beautiful. God is good. Do you believe that God is good? John 10, 10, Jesus says, there, says this, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. King James says, have it to the full. To have that abundant life. I want the abundant life. Old Testament verse, one of my favorites, Isaiah 48, 17 and 18 states this. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness as the ways of the sea. I, Robert McDowell, am a fisherman, I love to be on the river. And part of the reason why I love to be on a lake or a stream, wherever. And there's a therapy that comes with that, a peacefulness that comes with that. And then hopefully I catch a big fish once in a while too. Go on my Facebook site. And in fact, you know, as a fisherman, you know, uh, and we've got other fishermen out here, right? 
Uh, you know it's always dangerous to take your wife fishing, right? You know why? She's the one that catches the bigger fish. Yeah, go on my Facebook site, take a look, and you'll have a good time at my expense there. So first point I'd like to talk about here. I'd like to talk about the fact of sin. The fact of sin. Scripture states that and talks about the prodigal son is so applicable to us because our own hearts are so prone to go prodigal one degree or another. And we desperately need a heavenly father that will love us unconditionally, not based on our performance. Let me read to you verses 11 through 13 here again. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The prodigal son wrestled with his sinful desires, who knows for how long, but he soon caved in to them. Sin is a condition of the human heart. You should not be surprised that you are a sinner. I am a sinner. I'm not proud of that. In fact, uh, you know, the only way that we not become a sinner is when death comes to take us. And uh, that's going to be nice to not wrestle with sin anymore. There's times I just go, oh, especially when I, have, when I go back to my Heavenly Father and go, Lord, you know, it's, it's Robert again. Lord, I did this again. And Lord, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me, Lord? And he's always gracious in us. He does forgive. We're all sinners. First John 1 John 1.8 states, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Not only should you not be surprised that you are a sinner, but it's also very important that you accept and understand yourself as a sinner. To realize all, and to accept the fact that you are spiritually broken. That's what it means in Matthew 5.3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God accepts you and I as a sinner through the work of Jesus. So he, if he accepts you, then you can accept yourself as well. Poor in spirit literally means this, that we know that we are broken, broken spiritually. We admit it, we live by it, letting Christ live in us and through us, casting ourselves by trusting on his compassion. Anybody ever have reoccurring sins? In their life? You don't have to raise your hands, uh, but I know there's uh, sins in my life. It's just like, really? I got to wrestle with this still and again? I've had the privilege, uh, I was 10 years old when I asked Jesus to save me, so I've been a Christian along, I'm 54, so coming up on 44 years here in the mid-August, and so I've had the privilege of being a Christian a long time, and you'd think by now that I'd have things ironed out in my life. No. In fact, when I, it seems like when I get one eye, when the Lord works through me to prune one thing out of my life, Graciously, in his sweet time, he shows another little thing. Have you seen that in your life at all? You go, oh, thank you, Lord, this has been removed. Month, two months, week, an hour, whatever it is, all of a sudden here's, oh, okay, here's another, yes, okay. One of the things that I've been learning in, in my Christian walk is even trusting the Lord, the Lord so accepts us, the Lord so understands our sinfulness and our ability to sin, that I come to the Lord and say, Heavenly Father, you know I've done this. Heavenly Father, I am sorry for this. Lord, I'm a bit embarrassed that I'm back here 
wrestling with this again, asking your forgiveness. And I sense from the Lord a prompting, Rob, I know all this. Just come to me and ask for forgiveness. It's forgiven. Oh, and I just got some Jesus bumps going here. It's warm up. You think it's warm out there? It's warm up here. Secondly, the cost of sin. There's always a consequence for the sins we commit. Let me read to you verses 13 through 18. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, I love that part of that verse. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. What are the consequences? In this passage, I see eight of them. First one of the eight consequences is this, a distant country. The prodigal son went to a distant country. Far, so what's the consequences of this? Far from the blessings of father and family, far from the security of father and family. Anybody here enjoy, enjoy being insecure in your life? Don't, don't you get to the point where you loathe that? It's just like, really, can't we just put this one down? And, uh, and I, I go to my heavenly father with my insecurities all the time. Lord, really, I got to deal with this now. You know, for instance, for years, I used to be very insecure about... Uh, um, uh, the assurance of my salvation. For as a pastor, as a pastor, see how I was so um, uh, tied up with this performance-based Christianity? Oh, if I don't perform to this standard, God won't accept me. See, that's part of the bondage of that. And the insecurity that comes from that. Once until I got real transparent with the Lord, I said, Heavenly Father, really? I can't deal with this anymore. I've got to have, I've got to put this one down. Or would you please do the work? And praise the Lord, he did. So if you suffer with that, I encourage you to go to that too. Be transparent with the Lord. Lord, I have this issue. The Lord will work it out with you in his time and his way. So the first one, distant country, far from the security, father and family. Second one, squandered wealth, poverty. You know, interesting, one of the things that uh, when we're in sin, uh, often God does not bless our finances. You know, there's not, uh, doesn't happen all the time, but it's not uncommon that uh, when we're not walking with the Lord that uh, uh, he blesses our finances. Thirdly, severe famine. It's a domino effect of sin. Fourthly, in need. Life's basic necessities are thinning out. Fifthly, hired out to be a citizen of that country. Really, now he's a hireling? very insulting to a Jewish person. He is a stranger in a foreign country. So he can't settle down. He's restless. There's no satisfaction. Do you have satisfaction in your Christian walk? If you don't have satisfaction in your Christian walk, it's time to get real with the Lord and say, Lord, what is there there? Is there sin in my life? The sixth one, feeding of the pigs, an unclean animal for Jewish people. So now he is stooping to disgusting work. 
Seventhly, no one gave him anything. Lack of a support system, family. Eighth, starving to death. Sin ultimately leads to death. Galatians chapter 6, 7, and 8 states this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Sin always has a consequence. Sin always has a consequence. Another illustration uh, from, uh, from my life. Uh, you know, when it comes to cats and dogs, I enjoy cats and I enjoy dogs, but my favorite is cats. Uh, yeah, I, like, I love that cliche out there. That, uh, in fact, the vet down here had it that said, uh, uh, dogs have a master, but cats have staff. And uh, that's right. Yeah, that's so entertaining to me that you have this cute little 10 to 20 pound fur ball that assumes when you bring it home that now he is Lord and master of all you own. And uh, truth be known, uh, the last cat we had, uh, we had for 15 years, grew up with the kids. You know, I think he might have actually trained me more than I trained it. But it was during one of these times we thought our cat had passed away. It was gone. You know how they are for a week or two weeks or something. And uh, when, we don't have any pets anymore. They all died. My kids all grew up, left the house. The cat died, the dog died, and the parakeet died. So you probably shouldn't even shake my hands or get close to me. I'm starting to think it's me here. So whenever we need a cat fix, we're gone enough at camp and stuff. It's, or at this point in our life, it's not fair to have an animal. But uh, so whenever we need a cat fix, we head over here to PetSmart, you know, here to the, uh, the mall over here by Shopco. So uh, a couple of years back, sure enough, we walked in there and there was this absolutely gorgeous tabby. Probably, and the tabby is my favorite, the, the dark colored tabbies. Uh, and this was probably the most beautiful tabby kitty I've ever seen in my entire life. And sure enough, I was drawn immediately to it. And it was almost like we bonded right away. You know, I walked into that little room. The cat's eyes met my eyes, and there was some kind of heavenly music going on. <laughs> and so I went over, and I stuck my fingers up to the, you know, the cat came up to the, the cage. I put my hand in there. The cat would, would take his paws and was playing with my fingers. And I was going, oh, what a, what a fun kitty. And so adorable, eager to play, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and not one bit hurting me at all. And uh, so anyway, for the next two weeks, we went by probably four or five times, and every time we'd stop by, I'd tell my wife, I said, hey, let's stop in. Brownie was the name of the cat. Uh, Did anybody here adopt Brownie over there? Okay. And uh, so anyway, I didn't either. You'll find out why here in a minute. But so for the next two weeks, we went through there four or five times. I told my wife, I said, hey, how about let's stop and say hi to Brownie. So we'd stop in there, say hi to Brownie. Finally, that fifth time in there, uh, the employee evidently had caught on that we had been there a number of times, said, would you like to hold the cat? I thought, well, you know, smart of them. That's how they sell their cats, right? And uh, so anyway, uh, the employee opens up the cage, hands me the kitty, so I... I cuddle the kitty like this, and so the employee and my wife start to have a conversation while I'm petting the cat. And as soon as I got the cat in my arms, all of a sudden its ears went down, and its eyes got those evil slits. It turned, grasped the arm to my arm, and you know, the claws came out, and the teeth came out. And it proceeded to draw blood. 
And it was very uncomfortable, okay, very uncomfortable. So I'm just, I'm trying not to overact. Meanwhile, this uh, store attendee is still chatting with my wife like nothing's going on. So I thought, well, I'm on my own here. So I peel the cat off with this arm, and it latches onto this arm. Employee and my wife are still chatting like nothing's going on. I peel him off of this arm, he latches onto this arm. So now I know that I must get a little bit more aggressive, so I stuck my arm in the cage, closed the cage on my arm, and then just kind of peeled the cat off. I did not adopt Brownie. <laughs> and that's kind of a cute story, it is a cute story, but it's the illustration of it is this, sin always bites you. Sin always bites you. And there's time, like little brownie, that sin really does look cute. Hey, I'm just being very, very honest here. There's times you just look and go, oh yeah, I want to do this. I want to think this. I want to do this. Sin always bites you. There's always consequence to sin. Always. What's, what's sad about that is, uh, while that consequence comes to you, it also comes to consequence, the same consequence with those around you, loved ones, a wife, children, etc. So thirdly, this is a reflection of the sinner, is a reflection, the reflection of the sinner. Verses 17 through 20 state this. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? Did you, let me stop right there. Do you see what he's doing? He's remembering the goodness of his father. Remember the goodness of your heavenly father. When he came to a census, census, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while I was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. A reflection of the sinner. I love that when it says there, he came to his senses. What happened here is he remembered the goodness of his father. We need to remember that God is good. Bad stuff happens, but God is good. If something rotten happens in your life, it's not the fault of our heavenly father. John 10.10, Jesus again, as I stated earlier, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, the abundant life. Fourthly, the restoration of the sinner. The restoration of the sinner, verses 20 through 24, states here, when he got up, he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. So they begin to celebrate. The restoration of the sinner. Six thoughts here. First of all, the Father, now again, remind yourselves this, we're talking about our Heavenly Father. That, that first statement is profound. The Father saw. 
the father saw. Do you know why the father saw? Because he's looking. Because he's looking. You know, two days from now, I go on a plane. Plane goes out of Spokane, goes up to Minneapolis, and as each mile clocks off, you think my heart's going to get more and more excited to see my little babushka? Yes, I'll be looking. And when we get to the airport, when we get to the airport, guess what me and my wife are going to be doing? Looking down the hallway. Hopefully our luggage will meet us there too, you know. But I don't know if it'll even be all that important, you know, at least for a while. I get pretty gamey after a couple days, you know. The father is looking. You know, back in that day, what the father does is uh, there's a city, protected city walls. In this case, what had taken place is the, wa- the father would have gone out of the gate, the protected gate, would have gone out and would have been looking across the horizon. He'd be looking out there and going, I wonder if today's the day that my boy's coming back. Son would set, father would go back in. Next day, the father, the patriarch, the father would go back outside the city gate and look out there, say, I wonder if today's the day that my son's coming back. That's the heart of our heavenly father. That's, that's his heart towards me and towards each one of you. He, he's got his eyes out there looking and watching for you. Let me meddle a little bit. Where are you at in your Christian walk? Are are you at a a prodigal point of your life where you've got the wall up, distance between you and your heavenly father? Well, this you can be absolutely 100% sure that your father is watching for you right as we speak. Yearning for you to come back, to make that decision to come back into that sweet, sweet fellowship with him. He saw because he was watching. Secondly, the Father is filled with compassion. This is God's heart towards you and me. Notice that it's not, uh, uh, when the boy shows up, it's not a scolding, it's not hatred, it's not a beating. Uh, There's no disdain, there's no disgust. It's compassion. That's the heart of our Heavenly Father for each one of us. We are sinners, we make mistakes. He watches for us and yearns for us to come back. And when we do come back, he accepts us 100%. Thirdly, interesting, here in this story, the father ran. Culturally, this is embarrassing to have the patriarch. You don't do that in the Mideast. You don't ask the patriarch to run. So why did the patriarch run? Why did he run to his boy? Great question. Here's why. He ran to beat the others to his boy. It was a race now to his boy. And do you know what Old Testament law states? That a prodigal son is to be stoned. So the father is now, he's looking and going, there's my boy. Off he goes, tearing to catch up to his boy before the elders of the city come and take the boy and stone him. Protection. Fourthly, into the arms of the father into the arms, accepted the presence, that sweet presence of God. I yearn, you know, one of the things, the older I get, the more I look forward to heaven, legitimately look forward to heaven. As I grow in my Christian faith, the sweeter God gets, the sweeter 
God gets. And so I look forward to that day. You know, uh, five years ago, I had a, a genuine cancer scare, um, a mass in my colon, and I had to legitimately ask the questions, uh, is this my swan song? Is this it for me? And uh, I even asked uh, the guy that did, both the doctors that was working with me, I says, okay, you've seen it, what do you think? And they says, well, we would rather not say. Afterwards, I asked them, and they both said, hey, you're a dead man walking in our eyes. And uh, I got to the point, though, God was working in my heart, it got to the point where uh, I honestly was okay. Now, this is a little bit selfish of me, a little bit okay if the Lord would have t- taken me. Hey, I'd go to glory. I'd be in the presence of Jesus. In fact, uh, uh, Cindy and my wife asked me, she says, if, when you wake up out of surgery, and she said this, she says, if you see my face, are you going to be disappointed? <laughs> now that's a loaded question. <laughs> so I said, of course I won't be disappointed. Of course, I woke up from surgery, and there was my sweet wife helping me through all the rest of that process. Fifthly, son's confession, the, the need for forgiveness and restoration. There must be confession, dialogue. The son comes and humbly and contritely says, I am sorry. Then sixth, the restoration. The father gives the boy rings, sandals, and rope, this is, what's the significance of that? This is for family, not a hireling. The boy is accepted back into the family. Conclusion. Short conclusion tonight, okay? Short conclusion. You know, as Jesus told uh, his audience this uh, parable, they were like going, okay, it was a mind blower for them. Culturally, this was just going against all of the culture. And uh, it was a bit of a, a jab on them, too, because Jesus was telling basically them, hey, this is what you guys are doing. You're one of these two boys. And interesting. Remember, we're talking about the heart of the Father. Eight weeks, Jesus did something eight weeks after Jesus told this parable. Do you know what Jesus did eight weeks after he told this parable? I'll give you a little bit of a hint. Eight weeks afterwards, Jesus gave his life. Eight weeks after Jesus spoke these words, God the Father gave his little boy, gave his little boy to die on the cross for each one of us. Is our Heavenly Father amazing? So I ask you this question. Is there somebody here tonight that you are prodigal? You are, you're a Christian, but you, you've been running from God. You know that there's this sin in your life. And very possibly right now the Holy Spirit's just like tapping you. You probably don't really feel the Holy Spirit, but in your heart you sense the Holy Spirit go, you know what? Those words are right. I encourage you. And we'll have some prayer timer in just a moment. And you can pray. You and, you and your loving Heavenly Father can pray and talk this out. Your Father is watching you and he wants you back. He wants you back. And all you got to do is ask and he'll forgive. Also, there's somebody here tonight that maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You know, Jesus died for you. 
He gave his life. A blood sacrifice was, is required for sin. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he paid that price so that you can have eternal life. If you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, tonight's a great night to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for this phenomenal parable that you've given to us to communicate um, in part of who you are. Heavenly Father, I praise you for who you are. You are remarkable. Heavenly Father, would you please grow us to understand more of who you are. And we know that because of that, Lord, we will simply fall more deeply in love with you. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, if there's somebody here tonight that is a Christian who is prodigal, who has been running from you, I pray, Lord, that right now in the quietness of their heart, your sweet Holy Spirit will just help and encourage, give that person strength and ability to, in the quietness of their heart, go, go to you and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Jesus, I have done this. Jesus, I have done that. Say, so, Heavenly Father, would you give those people that kind of strength, that ability, Lord? And Heavenly Father, if somebody here tonight that has not trusted your son Jesus as their Savior, that if they were to die tonight, they would not know that they would go into your sweet presence, Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, in the quiet, that in the quietness of their heart, they pray this prayer. Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Jesus, give me eternal life. And Jesus, help me to live to please you all the rest of my life, Lord. So Heavenly Father, we praise you and we give you this in your sweet name, in your son's name.